Hell yeah. Two turkeys? Two turkeys. We just get double turkey? <laughs> you got double gobbled. You got gobbled up, son. <laughs> Welcome to Football and Other F Words on this Thanksgiving Eve. Joined, as always, by uh, producer and co-host Zach Lyons. I almost butchered that. And we are joined by phone by Mike Miracles. And uh, we seriously don't know where Keith is. I don't have a clue. And what's funny is he's related to Mike. So Mike ought to know where he is because Thanksgiving's tomorrow. Where is he, Mike? Um, he is uh, north. North. He's I can only give north. a direction. He is north. What is this? Geocaching? <laughs> like, do we have to go find him? Anyways, I'm uh, your host, Mr. Lebowski. Uh, right before we went to record, got some news about Delaney Walker going on IR. We are definitely going to touch that. Good, good chance we have probably seen that man for the last time in a tight uniform, which is very sad. We will hit on that. What we want to discuss today, Titans offense suddenly on fire, beating the absolute shit out of the Jaguars, which we all love. Uh, got a house of horrors coming up with Indy. Uh, we have very two very tough contract decisions with a QB and a very high price running back. Art Smith might actually be good. And a little spicy take to end the show. Has Mario been holding back the roster since 2016? Now I got to give credit to Big Chippin' 1087 on Twitter pretty much wrote our lineup for the show today. Big chipping. Really liked this tweet enough to cut. I mean, he really broke down kind of all the major points we want to discuss on the podcast. So again, thank you for, uh, for basically writing our lineup. Let's start with that Jags game. Titans got in that ass. I mean, all up in there. Woo. I, it was, it was something like it gave me chill chills just fucking watching that game. Uh, it it was just such an appropriate time to really stomp the Jaguars too, but it because of the pre ceremony stuff that went down with uh, Matt Neely and everything and his family uh, being the twelfth Titan and everything. But I mean, it was also just a, a statement game to me, like not to get. Two two episodes ago, we shit all over the Titans, right? <laughs> and and Mike's telling us, "Hey, I think you you all need to settle down and reel it back in." And then last week, Lebowski kind of echoed the same sentiment. You know, just go and enjoy the game. And sure enough, just going and enjoying the game, or just enjoying watching it, no matter where you were, it it paid off because I mean, it was just a fun. It was. One of those games that you wish the Titans have had more of in the last, I don't know, six, seven, eight years. I mean, it was just, it was just fun. It was fun to watch us put a beat down on a team, really on offense, because I mean, yeah, we had the special teams um, defensive uh, fumble recovery, and we had some success defense, but our defense did not play that well. So to me, I mean, being able to do it. On offense, with I think Ryan Tannehill only threw 19 passes, if I'm not mistaken. So, but he was a f- super effective. It it was just I don't know. I mean, it was I expected us to win. I woke up that morning feeling good, feeling saucy, thinking that mm. we were gonna just beat the shit out of them, and we did. It w- it was nice to have expectations met. What's what's Neely's tweet? That I mean, they were holding the 
the, the, his family was on the field were holding up. It's the, a good morning to wake up and tighten the fuck up or tighten up or something <laughs> yeah. like that. I mean, you know what? It was uh, it was definitely a good morning for him. Mike, were you at the game? I was not at the game. I was uh, enjoying it from the comfort of my home, and uh, it, it was absolutely unbelievable. Like, I, I, I think just – stepping away from it for a few days i honestly think that that might be the best offensive performance we've ever seen from this franchise like whoa (laughs) better than the kc game where lindell and so we're smashing dash you know came alive uh with lindell and chris johnson getting multiple touchdowns playing the bongos i I think it was even better than that i mean they they were they were unstoppable even you know you'd Forget about it, but they they turned the ball over twice in this game. They had two fumbles that they lost, yeah. and they still pasted the Jaguars. And both of those fumbles, too, were on drives that looked like they were about to end up in the end zone. One came on a drive where a penalty called back a touchdown. So, I mean, if you – let's just say that, that the Titans end up getting, you know, the – the deep shot to Corey Davis the uh, in the penalty uh, on the screen to, to Henry, those end up standing for whatever reason – I mean, this is an almost perfect offensive performance. They were great through the air. They were great on the ground. They dominated the game from start to finish. Even when it was only 7-3 to three at halftime, I felt like the Titans were easily the better team. They, I think they had like 181 yards of offense in the first half, which is really good. Um, Mike sounds like he's bullshit. Well, that's what I was going to ask. I, I, are I you yelling because bit, you're? Uh, are you yelling because you're on the phone and you don't think we can hear you? Or are you yelling because you have a raging boner? I, I have a raging boner. Has gone down in four days. You know, I, I don't. Amazing. I don't, I don't really want people's reactions. Did <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously? It was, it was unbelievable performance, and I loved every minute of it. You, yeah, s- I was you like sound like you're standing. on cocaine. Like it's the, the amount of energy is so infectious that I, we're both sitting here just smiling and we were frowning earlier. Uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm glad I can bring that to you on Thanksgiving. <laughs> so I was at the game. I just want to go ahead and toot my own horn. Yeah. Titans are two and oh, since my triumphant return to the, well, you know, Stadium. you have to go to every game. Not only are they two and oh, but the last two games at home have been two of the most electric home games I've ever witnessed in that stadium. Yeah. I mean, ever. So I got to say, from again, from a standpoint, and I'm just going to throw it out there. For those that are listening right now, as soon as I say this, they're going to say, yeah, dumbass, where have you been? The lower bowl been pretty buck wild lately. Yeah. And the I sat in the lower bowl again for this game, and uh, it, was a, it was just a party once the Titans started scoring. And I will say, at no point, at no point, especially in the second half, when the Jaguars started actually scoring points, did I worry that the Jags were going to come back? I, because I'm that with Titans you. offense was rolling, firing on all cylinders. It was awesome to see. And just the fact that, again, Henry rips off another ridiculous-ass run. But the thing is, is like you knew it was coming. You knew it was I coming. I called it. it was- I called it on Twitter. I mean, and the there stiff arm. The, I like. I think I like this stiff arm better because I feel like he slowed down, let the defender <laughs> come to him, so just so he could stiff arm him. Like that's what I was watching. I was like, why is he slowing down? And then all of a sudden, he just like you know turns around, looks at the guy, and just stiff arms him. Like that has to be demoralizing for this team. That sequence where Henry scores on the was a seventy six yard run. Yeah, seventy six so. yard 74. run. Seventy four yard run. Henry scores. Kick, ensuing kickoff, 
Uh, was it Darren Bates lays out yeah. an absolute masterful hit, knocks the ball loose, recovers the fumble, and then the Titans score again. Was like the wildest sequence of events I've witnessed, I believe, live in that stadium. Darren or uh, Derrick Henry scored two touchdowns in the span of twenty six seconds. And he, I, I, I don't even want to quote. It was the first first guy to do that since uh, Ladainian Tomlinson. Okay, right? yeah, yeah, that's right. That's I had to go back and watch the broadcast and I heard that. But uh, electric, God, it was so much fun being at that game. And I, uh, I gotta say, it's fun being a Titans fan in that stadium right. A lot, a lot of fun. I know I sound like a huge hypocrite because just like four weeks ago, I was talking about, I don't really have a desire to go back to that stadium. And I started going back to my old rant about what drives me nuts about the organization and not spending money. I, I tell you, I don't give a shit right now. And I'm sticking to my mantra that I brought last week of that podcast. I'm just going to shut up and enjoy football. Let me say this. Yeah. Nissan Stadium on the Tennessee Titans app. So you can download an app for Tennessee Titans. They actually send you alerts and you can log in to show you the the gates and how they are uh, progressing with getting people in. You know what? And I think Isn't that, that crazy? No, I think that's, that's pretty that's solid. That's a great idea. And this was the first time that I experienced, and again, I know I'm going to get some, yeah, dumbasses, where have you been? I I wasn't aware that there's like a separate entrance up there with the, you know, the whole fan setup they do. They get the stage and all that kind of stuff right there in the, uh, in the south end zone out, outside of the stadium. They have that gated off with security, and that's a secondary set of gates you can go through for, uh, I believe it's season ticket holders. So that that was a breeze. We strolled right through that to get into the stadium, even the lines for security. And we walked up uh, 30 minutes, it's probably 25 minutes before the game. Lines were not bad from what we can tell. Beautiful day for football, but... No, I mean, the the the, uh, the stadium flowed pretty well that game. And like I said, the lower bowl had it going on. They were, you know, they were loud. The cheers and the, the yelling and stuff that were coming, especially during that sequence when Henry went off and scored two TDs in the span of 25 seconds, was fantastic. I really just, that was the most fun I've had at a game in a long time. Probably too much damn fun for the <laughs> second home game in a row with myself. No, no Montezuma this time, but... But anyways, no, it was it was fantastic. Is it too much to expect this every week? In your in your guys' opinion on the offense, is it really too much to expect that we're not the way we score, but the way that we are efficient and explosive because we're the number one explosive offense passing and running? It should we everybody keeps saying expect a downturn, expect a downturn because it's Ryan Tannehill. But should we? I mean, yeah, maybe he'll fall off just a little bit, but I'm not expecting like a five interception performance or something like that. I mean, what what are your guys' expectations for this offense for the rest of the year? Mike, I'll let you go first on that. Yeah, I'd, I'd say, you know, I'm not going to go into every game expecting them to hit 9.1 yards per play, which was a franchise record in one of the 30 best NFL games of all time uh, from an efficiency standpoint. Um I don't expect that every week, obviously. That would be ridiculous, but um, I, I don't see any reason why this has to slow down because what they've done, they've found their identity. Um, you know, they, I think they wanted to be this team all along with Henry and an offensive line kind of dominating the line of scrimmage and, and then running play action off of that and being efficient with the passing game. They're doing all of that right now, and I think it'll be interesting to see if they can sustain it when they come up against some, some tougher defensive fronts, you know, because it is, is 
I don't think you can say that, that, all right, the Chiefs and Jaguars just are totally terrible defenses, and that's why, you know, the Titans have had this outburst because you see, you don't see these teams getting gashed like this every week. Um, but I think it'll be interesting to see when once they come up against, uh, you know, maybe the Saints are probably the best defense left, though, because, I mean, the rest of the schedule sets up for them to continue this hot run, honestly. I mean, the Colts aren't a great run-stuffing defense. Uh, certainly the Texans are much weaker without Watt. I think you're going to see them continue to cook on offense. And I, I would be surprised at this point if they don't end up, you know, somewhere around the top 10 at the end of the season when it comes to scoring and, and DBOA and all the metrics that, that we like to look at for uh, offensive efficiency. I mean, Tannehill's just feeling it right now, and that's great to see. And that's – to answer your question, Zach, I don't, I don't expect this offense to continue that level of performance. It, it's surprising and awesome to see. I certainly don't expect to see that against Indy, which we'll get more into in a minute. But but I got to say it's refreshing to see Tannehill playing as well and aggressive as he is, even in long drive situations, which is something with, you know, especially in the last season and a half with Mariota to where you, you almost kind of cringe because if a long drive happened, it almost came as a surprise. What everybody has been accustomed to for the start of this season and quite a bit last year was a lot of three and outs, a lot of third and long situations. It's good to see, you know, Tannehill filling it. Now I got to say, I don't think anyone sitting in this room or, or listening would have thought if you had said the words, almost zero usage out of Delaney Walker and very light usage out of Corey Davis was going to be a recipe for any sort of success this year. But that's just how shit has rolled out. And it, it just uh, the way that Tannehill is operating and conducting that offense on the field right now, pretty damn good, which is how I want to transition us to Art Smith. Is Art Smith good? Mike, <laughs> I, you go I, for it. I think there is. So everyone rushed out to the. Arthur Smith sucks and he's the worst offensive coordinator that's ever played or that's ever, you know, coached a football game. I mean, we're kind of guilty of that really quick. Yeah. I mean, and and that's in, you know, it's easy to get frustrated. It's easy to look at the the plays and say, Oh, well, nothing's working. This is so dumb. Why is he calling the plays that don't work? You know, that kind of thing. But I think what you're seeing is, a guy that was a first time play caller this is the first time he's called plays at any level of football. You know, that he's, he's getting used to doing a new job. And I mean, how many of us were absolute all-stars at our job the very first time that we did it, you know, the first, first week on the job, nobody. So I think you're seeing a guy that's getting comfortable with calling plays. He's starting to, to, and you can see it on the tape. He's starting to sequence things. So you're starting to see, you know, this play sets up that play, and then he's setting up this with that, and he's got this that, that counters off of another, you know, look. So you're starting to see that kind of stuff show up on tape, and that's exciting to see for me. And, I mean, it, it, the offense is working. Regardless of, uh, <laughs> you know, what your thoughts are about him, it, it is really hard to coordinate an offense that has legitimately been – top three in the NFL by virtually any metric you want to use over the past five weeks. If you are that bad at your job. Um, I mean, it's not like, I mean, give Ryan Tannehill credit. He's played awesome. Um, give Derrick Henry credit. He, he's phenomenal, but this is not like, 
you can't just look into you know this isn't isn't like you're taking over Patrick Mahomes and and you know people like that he is putting them in a position to succeed and they are executing and succeeding they both deserve credit and I I think there's a chance Arthur Smith is actually going to turn out to be good at his job yeah I I think it all has to do with execution uh I think maybe we we were probably quick to judge Vrabel, but he that's kind of what he said is the execution, execution, execution is what he's preached almost all all season during the bad times. And we see what this offense does when it's executing at every level. And that's basically what's happening. The offensive line is clicking. The quarterback is clicking. The running game is clicking. I mean, A.J. Brown is is being involved and taking over games. Jonu Smith is electric when he is able to not fuck up and have his fuck-ups because he had some two big ones uh, almost back-to-back. I think it was back-to-back this last game. But, I mean, when this offense is clicking, it's good. And, you know, maybe they are seeing certain things that we're not seeing when it comes to some of these you know, we're going to run it and against, you know, Tampa Bay and we're going to pass it against Carolina. Maybe they're seeing stuff that we're not seeing and it was just execution. But like Mike said, I mean, we're top three in almost every, every, we're top three offense. Like Tannehill is a top 10, top five quarterback right now. It's, it's just hard to argue with that. When you, when you look at it, no matter what your stance is about what went on in the beginning of the year, um, Art, I don't think, is calling wildly different plays. I think that the execution is just better, although from top to bottom, not just at quarterback, but with Taylor. I mean, he we did we have a offensive penalty this past game? I know he yeah, didn't. I think I, I believe we had. A holding oh yeah, Johnu Johnu had yeah. a holding call. Yeah. yeah, I don't I don't think we had any offensive line penalties. Yeah. I think might have been uh, the first time all season for that, but. Yeah, and I'd agree with you. It's mostly execution, and and I've got a little bit of a, I don't know, pet peeve about the way that some of the national media is talking about the Titans, and and surprise, surprise, you know, this is a franchise that gets largely ignored um, nationally, and I'm not out here banging the drum for, you know, we deserve all the respect, we deserve to be talked about as a Super Bowl contender, all that, but they are talking about I, I heard on the uh, Ringers NFL show uh, this morning I was listening to it and they talked about you know the Titans offense and how much better they're playing and and the Titans are getting some love from from national media folks uh, as far as some respect and people have definitely opened their eyes all of a sudden but uh, they talked about how boring the Titans offense is and I'm like it's it's boring in the way that the Ravens offense is boring. I mean, if you're going to talk about the Ravens as the most exciting offense in the league, what the Titans are doing from a performance standpoint is almost identical to what the Ravens are putting up over the last five weeks. So, you know, that's and, slow your roll right there. Very close. I mean, I'll say it's close, but the Ravens are first. All right. So the Ravens are first in points per game. They're first in yards per play. That they are the best offense in the NFL. The Titans are second in both those categories. Or no, they're third in third in points per game, second in yards per play over that time frame. So, I mean, how boring could that offense possibly be? They right. score a ton of points and they put up a ton of yards. Like, I'm sorry, you don't like Derrick Henry rushing for you know ripping off 74 yard rushing touchdowns? Like, trash. what's how, not exciting about this? How many I, plays I, is he up to of like 70 yards or more? 
I mean, is that three or four? Uh, I don't know. It's It's got to be – I mean, I can think of at least three, so it's got to be you know, three or four probably. Yeah. And that's he's, crazy. He's a big play waiting to happen. And, and so and is A.J. Brown. Yeah, well, and that's the thing that uh, uh, kind of another thing I want to get into is the narrative that the, the play calls are different, that we're calling way more bootlegs or way more play action or way more this with Tannehill than we ever did with Marcus. That That's not true because I think we were all talking about the other day, I think it was the Falcons game where Marcus was running tons of bootlegs and he was getting killed. Again, it's about execution from the offensive line and the um, and and at different positions. What you're seeing is us running those plays that were inefficient, and now they're suddenly efficient. And I think that's what people are forgetting is that we ran these plays at the beginning of the year, and there were multiple failures. Again, not just Marcus. Trust me, there were multiple failures on multiple levels on the same plays that we're calling that are just now, again, we're just executing. And so, you know, on top of that, but to get into Derrick Henry, um, you know, PK was talking about that it's probably time to see what kind of third, can he be a third down back? Not necessarily that he has to pass catch because you can always use him as a decoy on third downs, but can he pass block? What can he do? Because at this, at some point, I believe, and I think he's going to ask Eddie George, uh, next show about this because I believe uh, he was saying that him and Jeff Legwold, Legwan, he was some, I guess, Legwold, reporter yeah. back in the day, um, were talking about the same thing with Eddie, and then Eddie became reliable on third down. So it, it can happen. So, you know, that's the thing I think I want to see next from this offense is keeping our, technically, our best player that's, not the quarterback, but our best skill position player out there on third down and seeing what we can do with him. Again, I'm not asking him to catch every ball. We know that he's not going to, but we got to see if he can be that pass blocking back, which he should be. I mean, he is six, eight and 239 pounds of pure muscle or something crazy like that. Like he should be able to block someone and just lift them out of their cleats and throw them around. Mike, can, can the Titans afford to lose Derek? No, I, I don't think so. And, you know, I'm not a big pay the running backs guy. I, I tend to think that paying running backs is, is inefficient, inefficient use of resources in the NFL. But Henry is unique in that he is, you know, basically indestructible. He, he doesn't ever get hurt. Um, he's on the field all the time. He never, he never has to come off he you could stick him in there for 10 straight runs and he's not gonna get tired he's he's one of he's just a cyborg basically so that's unique and then also the fact that he's now performing at a level to where i mean he is the feature of this offense he is the focal point and everything that they do is based around how teams react to derrick henry because if you don't bring that extra guy down in the box. Henry is going to eat you up, especially when this offensive line is clicking like it is right now. And then once you bring that extra guy up into the box, once your linebackers start crashing hard against the run, they're hitting you with a play action right behind it. So everything that they're doing, all the all the success that they're having is centered around the fact that teams are terrified of Derrick Henry right now, there, and for good reason. And there was a there's a that what you just said reminds me of a play I, I was just watching last night. 
it may have actually been you who had posted the play, but uh, the Jags defense, which admittedly is, you know, obviously had some problems the last several games, big problem against us. They bit so hard on one play against Henry taking the ball out to the left that Tannehill was able to bootleg and roll out to the right and run for a first down at about five or six extra yards because the whole damn defense shifted to the left-hand side of the field anticipating the Henry run. Uh, and, and I'm with you, Micah. It's it's crazy to think that you would argue for paying a running back a big contract, and I, I cringe saying that statement, but I just don't think the Titans can afford to lose. Well, and I don't think he's going to get get or command a big, big payday. Like I think that when I when I say that, Zeke's get averaging around thirteen million a year. Is that right? I think I think that's about right. Yeah. So to me, Derrick Henry's worth every bit of ten mil. Like I know that's like, oh well, it's three million dollars a year. What is that? Well, I mean, in the big scheme of things, that three million dollars could come in handy. I, I mean, if he were to get paid thirteen mil, would I be against it? No, but I think that you can get Henry ostensibly for roughly $10 million just because of right now he can't be used on third downs, technically cannot be used on third downs like Zeke can. And I think that people seeing what Bell, what happened with Bell, what happened with Melvin Gordon, what happened with Todd Gurley, I mean, all this stuff, I, teams ostensibly have the leverage not to have to sign a running back to a big deal. But I'm all for keeping Henry. I, I want Henry. If that takes 12 mil, then it takes 12 mil. I mean, I just don't care. You have to bring Henry back. So, Mike, let me ask you this. I, I don't want to try to do dig too far into the scenario because, obviously, we want to see the Titans make it to the playoffs and go as far as possible. That's obviously the ultimate goal. But Tannehill is playing really damn good. At, at what point do you start to consider that the Titans need to offer him a deal? What kind of deal? Do the Titans start to seriously look at look at him as a short-term starter, a long-term starter, drafting a quarterback? I know I've just asked you kind of a lot there, but you know, just throw throw at me what you think the Titans should do contract-wise for Tannehill based on the way he's playing right now. Yeah, I, I think the time is kind of now for that transition of okay, this is this is nice that he's come in and produce uh, to transition into okay he's really playing well and elevating, you know, the offense around him. It's time to consider him the, you know, runaway front runner to be the quarterback in 2020, I would say, Um, because you're not going to go find another free agent. That's going to be coming off of a season, frankly, that's going to be anywhere close to what Tannehill is doing right now. I mean, even, even Tom Brady and Phillip rivers, uh, you know, if you want to go for the the pie in the sky kind of, uh, you know, hopes and dreams, free agent possibilities, those guys aren't playing better than Ryan Tannehill right now. I mean, sure, it's hard to compare versus, you know, different surrounding talent, different schemes, everything like that. But Ryan Tannehill is playing better football than both of those players right now, um, which is crazy to say, because, you know, who would have expected us to say Ryan Tannehill was playing better than Tom Brady at this point when the Patriots are 10 and one. But uh, it's true. So I, I think I think you have to bring Tannehill back. You, you can't let him out of the building at this point, you know, unless the bottom just falls out or he suffers some horrific injury over the next five games, whatever. 
but right now, the way he's playing, I think you have to bring him back. I still think you should probably draft a quarterback because you're not going to want to pay Tannehill good money and then throw good money for a high-end backup, too, because, frankly, I mean, Tannehill, as good as he's been, his injury history is is a little bit checkered. You're still going to want to have a good, high-quality backup quarterback. Um, so I think you need a, a backup, and it would be best if that backup was a cheap guy on a rookie deal that you could groom. And even if it's not, you know, a first-round pick, even if it's a second or a third-round pick, you know, you've got a guy in-house that you can start growing, find out if he's the guy. If he's not, you know, you have a backup at least for a couple of years, and then you go try to find another guy in a, in a couple of years. So I think, I think you sh- should – bring Tannehill back I think you also should draft a quarterback you do you see the team realistically affording both Derrick Henry and Tannehill oh I I think they absolutely can I think you know the last time I looked it up um, they're going to be close to 60 something million in cap space for 2020 after you get the rollover dollars in there and stuff like that um, you know, obviously they have now uh, a few big free agents to look at with Henry Tannehill, Conklin, um, and Logan Ryan are kind of the, the key guys, but you're also going to be able to save roughly $4 million by cutting Deion Lewis, which I would assume happens. Uh, you would probably, we'll talk about this in a minute, but there's a good chance that you end up, uh, releasing Delaney Walker, which will save you, you know, seven million, eight million dollars in cap space. And uh, you know, if they don't bring back Wake, that's another uh, six or seven million in cap space. So you can free up up to, you know, what eighty million dollars in cap space pretty quickly. So even if you sign Ryan and Conklin and Tannehill and Henry all to, you know, kind of near the top of the market deals, you're still going to be well under the cap with plenty of room to work and kind of fill out the rest of the roster with, with backups or re-sign other kind of role players like Dennis Kelly and some other guys like that that you might want to have back. So I think they're in a place where they don't have to choose between them. They can bring back as many of these guys as possible, and I would suggest that that's exactly what they should do. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't The, the either-or scenarios just don't make sense in my head just because – of all people, John Robinson is, he's going to bring back Henry. I mean, he drafted Henry. I mean, Henry's been his guy, been one of his picks. It was his first draft. He's coming back. And Tannehill, like Mike said, unless the bottom falls out or he gets injured, there's no reason not to bring both of them back. And they're, and much like you said, bringing back Logan Ryan and bringing back Jack Conklin, maybe other moves are to be made, you know, Maybe they don't bring both of them back, but if if we need them both back, he's going to find a way to pay them and pay them right, and he's been really, really good with contract negotiations. There's no reason to figure out, to, to doubt that John Robinson, if he wants them back, he can bring them back. And and like he said, cap space, it's it's all made up anyway. Cap space doesn't exist. Cap limit. <laughs> it's, it's, all, it's all made up. And, I mean, look at the Rams. I mean, th- here's the thing. The, the how the Rams have been building, they don't have a first round pick till twenty twenty two, yeah. And they're probably after this last weekend where Jalen Ramsey once again quit on a team and he <laughs> is cussing Marcus Peters and trying to start a fight. 
you know, after the game, and then in the tunnel, he's waiting for Marcus Peters to come through the tunnel. I mean, he's probably not coming back to the Rams, so they just traded away all those draft picks for a guy that they're only going to be able to use for uh, st- uh, technically one year. You mean to tell me that Jalen Ramsey is being a pain in the ass for a new team? Aren't you <laughs> shocked? I'm just absolutely shocked. It's almost like we discussed that at length on this podcast. Yeah. Oh, there's still people that uh, when I talked about today that we could bring back both, you know, Tannehill and Henry. Someone goes in, don't forget our boy uh, Jalen Ramsey's coming home. Yeah, hard pass. No, yeah. no, he's no. not coming home. Yeah. yeah, there's also people that think we fake the moon landing. You know, yeah, the world's filled with fucking idiots. Anyways, I'm sorry. Um, Mike touched on it. Delaney Walker, he's on IR. I I think it's it's easy to say that we have seen the last of Delaney Walker in a Titan. Which which is crazy because I got blasted all off season <laughs> about you did yeah about you know Delaney probably not going to be the same Delaney and everybody's like oh he'll be the same and you, you never count Delaney out and I get it it it's an injury you can't predict injuries and I'm not here to gloat that he got injured and all that kind of stuff but it's just it's remarkable to me that I, you know I posted up a tweet today saying you know I may catch some flack for this but if they cut Delaney Walker after the end of this year we save 6.7 million dollars in the cap and my how everybody has changed into saying well that's you know that makes sense now well mm-hmm. I, I mean I get it people can change opinions and stuff but it, it's going to happen and it's unfortunate unless he takes a real big pay cut and they restructure it or something which there is going to be a market for Delaney. Uh, the teams like the Seahawks and the Patriots will probably s- would snatch him up, and I'm sure that he would love to go to one of those teams. But, you know, you also think that maybe because he's kind of helped build to where we're at, you know, and and let me say, Delaney is a, a real important piece of how we are where we are now. There, There's no doubt about yep. it. Um, any kind of offensive success was... DeMarco Murray and Delaney Walker, and then it became Delaney Walker and Derrick Henry. Um, so I understand what he did, but this is a business too. So I kind of think that either he's going to have to take a restructure, but I don't think he will because I'm sure that he's, from every, all intents and purposes that we've seen of Delaney, he's a bet on himself kind of guy, right? So to me, he's not going to take a pay cut, and he could probably get paid, you know, from New England or from Seattle and have play in time and everything. Mike, I'm, I'm going to ask this of you out of just being a naive football fan, but what happened with Delaney this year? It, it's not really clear to me why he was not on the field a lot. What, what injury has him on IR and was it all injury related on why he was not on the field? Because to me, it seems like the old adage and I really hate cliche phrases, but life comes at you fast. And in the NFL, it comes at you real fast. It, it's like suddenly you, you see you blink an eye and aging players go from playing really well to all of a sudden they're just not playing well at all. So again, you know what what was keeping Delaney off the field? You know what's got him on IR? What kind of what happened here? Yeah, I, I think it is kind of what you said. It's a, it's a life come comes at you fast kind of moment. And he started the season reasonably well. You know, that first game against the Browns, he, he put up some big numbers, had a couple touchdown catches. And everybody was like, oh, Delaney's back. You know, here we go. Um, but I think 
you know, the, the injury, as I understand it, is an ankle injury that he's been, been dealing with for about the past month now. I think he played like six plays against the Chargers and came out um, and hasn't been seen since. So, you know, really, it's it's kind of crazy. It, this run of hot play pretty much perfectly coincides with Delaney going out of the lineup. And I'm not trying to suggest that that has that that is why that they're suddenly playing well by any means. It's, you know, Delaney, a healthy Delaney Walker would be a help to this team still. I'm pretty convinced of that, but um, I don't think he, I don't think they wanted to put a lot of wear and tear on him if they could help it. You know, he's 35 years old coming off of a major, major injury. Um, you know, I think people kind of gloss over the recovery aspect of that and how he would have to come back from that. I mean, we saw basically the same injury with Mariota and how that affected him. Um, you could argue that Mariota's never been the same since um, that 2016 injury. So I think, you know, Zach, you were you were all over this during the offseason. And, and, you know, I think some people agreed with you, most did not, um, that, that Walker was unlikely to be, you know, a seven or 800 receiving yard tight end like he had been uh in years past and it's I think they wanted to load manage him a little bit they wanted to get Janu you know the opportunity to play more considering you know he's kind of stepping into his own as well I think he's played really well this year for the most part um and I, I think Walker had slowed down I you know you'd seen hints of it the last couple seasons there were some plays where it was like you know, okay, the old Delaney Walker would have taken that that ball and, and turned it up and broke a tackle and, you know, turned it into a huge gain. And he's he's not quite breaking tackles anymore. He's not running away from defenders anymore. He's just kind of – he was kind of more of a safety net, you know. He was a different player than he was in 2016, 2017. So, I don't know. I, I think he's he's aged uh, pretty, pretty rapidly over the past year and a half. Um, and obviously the injury has a big thing to do with that. Um, so I, I think, I think y'all are right. I think this is probably the last that we see of them and in a Titans uniform. And and that's sad. It's, it, it's the end of an era because Walker has been the best offensive player on this team for, you know, most of the past five years. And um, you know, they're, they're going to have to move on from that. And the good news is I think John o. Smith is ready. Uh, I, I think he's proven that over the past five weeks, you know, as, as I said, the, Walker hasn't been playing and the offense has been playing at a ridiculously high level. Uh, Johnny Smith has been a part of that, both as a blocker and a receiver. His blocking has come a really long way um, this year. So, you know, I think Ferkser, Pruitt. Um, and then I think you see Kari Blasingame, the fullback, who got a lot of snaps actually in this past game. He's taken over Pruitt's role. I think they, they kind of knew the writing was on the wall a couple weeks ago and maybe they wanted to, to wait it out. but them adding blazing game was a little bit of a eyebrow raiser for me. And now I think we see why I think, I think they knew they were going to have to move Pruitt into a more of a full-time tight end role and they needed somebody to, to come in and take that fullback responsibility. So I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see, but I, I'll miss Delaney Walker. He was one of my favorite Titans, uh, you know, really of all time. Well, after that, uh, Mr. Lebowski, he had, on Thanksgiving Eve, a work thing that he had to leave for, unfortunately. So it's me and Mike, probably much to everybody's uh, 
uh, dismay. They're probably all turning off the podcast now, Mike. So we can pretty much say whatever we want. Yes. Good. Good. <laughs> Got the room to ourselves. Yeah. So um, while we were waiting for confirmation from Lebowski, we were kind of talking about uh, the offense. And what we were kind of talking about was the different feeling we have about this offense, which leads into one of the topics that was on uh, from Big Chippin. Big Chippin. Uh, about <laughs> was 2016 Marcus, or after 2016, was Marcus holding this uh, this roster back. Personally, I don't think so, but what are your thoughts on that? Uh, that is a complicated question because it's so hard to separate, you know, Marcus's play, which I don't think has been good for basically since 2016. I, I think if you look back on it now, and, you know, granted this is with hindsight and everything else like that, I think you can say, 2017, he mostly played poorly. Now, some of that could be attributed to he was pretty banged up that season. He had a hamstring injury that that cost him a game, and then he tried to come back too soon from. And that's the thing with Marcus, too, is like the injury things always muddy the conversation. But he didn't play very well that season. He didn't play very – because he was throwing all those weird interceptions. You remember like they – Oh, that Steelers game. I was at ML Rose down the street, and I was just – oh, I was so pissed. And even like the the Rams game, like where the Titans, you know, they had a chance to really beat that that red hot McVay Rams team at the end of that season, and you know Mariota just throws this weird interception where it's just he floated this ball right to a linebacker out of nowhere. You know, there was a lot of those. I think that was the season he finished with 15 interceptions or something like that. Um, so I don't think he was really very good that year. And then you go to 2018, obviously he wasn't very good. Um, you know, up and down, he had some moments, you know, the Eagles game was great. The Patriots game, Cowboys game, those were really good. Um, but there was a lot of clunkers in there too. I mean, just really, really bad performances. And I think once you look back at the stats, you know, with the, the sacks and stuff like that, I think it's pretty easy to see a trend line that says the sacks were less about the offensive line play and more about the quarterback play um as much as i know people don't like to hear that sometimes um i think it's it's true that quarterbacks influence sack numbers to a really large degree um and i think mariota got tentative at some point the injuries got in his head and i think I think the tentativeness was holding back the offense, not necessarily Mariota's talent, but his tentative tentativeness. Uh, if, if I'm saying that right, I don't, well, I think I probably butchered. Well, that. and the way he worded it was the roster. Was he holding the roster back? And right. to me, no, I don't think he was holding the roster back. I, I think that's a little unfair to put, the defensive performance on Marcus, I understand that, oh, well, if we're off the field, then the defense gets tired, blah, blah. But there was also sure. rosters that he was on that it was Bryce McCain and Bleedy Ray Wilson and were the cornerbacks with, um, I mean, just horrendous horrendous rosters because the, the offensive roster in 2015 was rough. That's why Russell Webster got fired. And... Technically, that was one of his better seasons and with yeah. nothing. And then 
yes, the roster got better in 2016, but, I mean, is Andre Johnson, Tajay Sharp, and Rashard Matthews really the way to build an offense and everything? He was able to overcome it, but that was a lot of scheme work. Uh, a very good coaching job by Mike Malarkey, in my opinion, that year. Yeah. And then you saw that as the roster got better, he his play got worse from 2017-2018 outside of those few moments that you mentioned. But maybe, yeah, I would say that probably he was holding the offense back, but I wouldn't say he was holding the whole roster back. I, I think right. that we're, we are, we've... We're on the cusp of having our fourth nine and seven season, right? It was not trending that way at the beginning of the year, but it is now. So, it's is this anything? Right? Yeah, it's and is it really more than a nine and seventeen? Some of those other seasons, maybe one or two games. So you can't really say that he was holding. He was the reason we were being held back in some of the games. Right, and and it's it's about what you would be replacing him with too. Like you know, if if you're saying you're, he's holding you back, if you replace him with Blaine Gabbard, obviously that is not helping. You know that Mario is clearly better right. than Gabbard, and you know he's he's not holding you back relative to other roster options. Now, relative to other quarterbacks, like around the league, if you said you could import a you know, let's let's say like a Kirk Cousins, who's a relatively average, maybe slightly above average NFL quarterback. If you could import a Kirk Cousins into the 2018 Titans, do you have a better season? I think you probably do. Yeah. Um, but you know, if, if you want to say, but I mean, that's that's tough to. That's that's a pretty hypothetical situation, obviously. So I I don't know. I I feel like. Mariota certainly wasn't maximizing the roster talent uh, in 2017 or 2018. But even if you looked at the run game, though, I mean, DeMarco Murray was pretty run down in 2017. He was not playing at the level that, you know, we had seen him at in 2016, too. So there's there's multiple reasons for all of this. And it's it is while it's, you know. Seems like it's pretty easy to say, all right, well, Mariota was just always bad. I don't, I don't think he was he was always a problem. I think he he regressed as the talent around him got better, which is really strange. But um, well, look at Carson Wentz. It's happening to Carson Wentz. I mean, he's yeah. regressing. Jared Goff is regressing with one of the best. They both had the best two best offensive minds in the game, arguably. So right. Sometimes it it just happens one way or another you you just start to see a regression and I, I it's it's all about how you bounce back from it and he just couldn't bounce back. I mean, yeah. say what you will, maybe he will go somewhere and be some all star, but he's gonna have to compete and get it. He's not gonna be handed a starting job. And if he can't beat out people, then you're probably not gonna see what what people are expecting. Right. Um we we were talking about how this offense is built and the reason we got got into this the Jaguars game last year versus the Jaguars game this year both big Derrick Henry performances but last year it was just big Derrick Henry performance this year it was a total team annihilation of the Jaguars so I feel like this this has given me more hope going into the Colts game I feel like we're going to destroy them no T.Y. Hilton, or a banged-up T.Y. Hilton, if he even plays. Eric Ebron, out. Marlon Mack, out. Jacoby Brissett, 
is a sitting duck in the pocket right now. I mean, I just don't see any reason why we shouldn't go in and dominate. But that's also because of this offense and how it's made. I feel there's four to five people on this team outside of the quarterback that can really, if you put the ball in their hands, they could be gone. I think A.J. Brown, anytime that he has the ball in his hands, he can score. Same with Derrick Henry. I think Janu and Corey Davis are both right underneath them in terms of just if they get the ball in the right situation, I mean, they're gone. And we were talking about how usually all of our playmakers were on the offensive line and maybe at running back here and there throughout the years and maybe a, a tight end or whatever. But none of, none of the offensive skill makers that we've had have ever been as explosive as them besides Chris Johnson as terms of just pure electricity, ball in their hands, probably going to score. Um, what what are your thoughts on this offense? You know, what do you think? What is your confidence level in the Colts game and w- how this offense is made up? Yeah, so the Colts game, I feel pretty good about it, honestly. I, I think the Titans are the better football team right now. If you look back, I mean, the Colts uh, are lost three of their last four. Um, I know a couple of those were without Brissett, but Brissett hasn't been playing that great recently either. If you... If you look on, uh, like, you know, I, I follow some Colts people on Twitter and, and every now and then, especially in a game leading up to a game week with the Titans, I'll, I'll step in on uh, Stampede Blue, our uh, sister sister blog over there for the Colts and uh, and kind of just check the pulse of, of the fans. And they are having conversations about Brissett that sound eerily similar to the ones that we were having about Mariota. You know, he doesn't push the ball down the field. He's just a game manager. He's too conservative. He doesn't, you know, he's not going to, you're not going to win games because of Brissett. You know, that that's kind of where they're at with him. Um, you know, they feel like they kind of have to lean on the running game. And if the running game isn't there, Brissett can't carry the load. So it, it, it'll be interesting to see how that kind of plays out. But I think the Titans are the better football team. I think this offensive, this run of hot offensive play, is real. Uh, you know, I, I don't I haven't seen anything that would to me suggest that this is fool's gold in, in any, any sort of way. It hasn't been fluky the way that they've been doing it. I mean, say what you want about Ryan Tannehill and his time in Miami and, and whether, you know, that what what struggles he might have had there might come back here. I, you're not seeing any signs of it. I mean, they, there's the question of the ball security in the pocket and, and he probably takes more sacks than he should, you know, that's a problem for sure. But that is neutralized to such a large degree because of the way that he pushes the ball down the field, his accuracy is his arm strength, everything else that he brings to the table. Um, this, this team's going to move the ball. I'm confident in that. I don't, I, I just can't see a stagnant, Titans offense hitting the field in Indy like we saw, you know, late last year when we played them or even earlier this year when, when we played against Indy. So, um, well, earlier this year, we played, about it. well, earlier this year, we played them with our backup quarterback. We'd even have our starter, uh, available to us. So, right. yeah. uh, you know, that, that's the thing about the, the Marcus stands that I want to get into about the fumbles because, uh, someone subtweeted you, uh, <laughs> or subtweeted, I guess, uh, 
those that do the all 22. He didn't ne- necessarily say Music City Miracles, but... He, he said all 22 review, and as far as I know, I don't know any all 22 reviews besides mine yeah. <laughs> that are tightly spaced. So, uh, saying, talking about the fumbles and how, you know, better see this in there. Well, and nobody ever talking about the fumbles, even though you did in your all 22 for the Chiefs game. I've mentioned it every week. Yeah. So, but here's the thing, and you you touched on it, is that the difference between a Marcus fumble and a Marcus interception and a Tannehill fumble and a Tannehill interception is that Tannehill doesn't go into a shell and change everything about his game. He stays aggressive. He stays pushing down the field. He stays working the pocket. He has his eyes up. Marcus just was gone. When you knew that he threw an early interception... I think the think the one fumble the one game that I can remember that he fumbled and uh, kept everything going was that Cowboys game because it started off a little rough uh, yeah, last year. Yeah. Um, but see, Tannehill he gets touchdowns. He is pushing the ball down the field. That that's that's huge. I know, but I don't know why people can't see that touchdowns mean a lot. <laughs> I mean, it just does. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, you and Marcus just never got touchdowns, and Tannehill right now is getting those. And so if it, if it's, if we lose one fumble early in a game and our defense can put a stop to it, yeah, it's a problem for Tannehill, and it's a problem you want to see fixed, but it also hasn't really killed us yet. Yeah, uh, and and it won't kill us as long as you know Tannehill keeps putting up thirty points a game. Basically, I mean that's that's the thing. I mean, if you if you told me I had to trade one turnover a game for fourteen points a game, I'm I'm going to take that every single time. It's it's a no brainer, brainer obviously, um, and that's what they've traded basically right now. Is is yeah, Tannehill has has fumbled too much. I don't I don't know that that's. You know, I think that was an issue for him at Miami too. So I don't know that it's suddenly going to go away. But I honestly think it's we've probably seen the worst of it. I, you know, he's averaged like one fumble per game over his first five starts, and that's higher than he was ever averaging in Miami. So if anything, I think they're due some regression to uh, or some progression to the mean, if you want to call it that. Um, as far as him not fumbling for a little bit, so that that would be a, a nice benefit, but. Yeah, the offense is clicking under Tannehill. I feel really good that it's going to maintain because the biggest thing to me is the offensive line's playing really well right now, too. I mean, it's not just Tannehill either. You know, the offensive line started to click. Saffold and Lawan are bullying people on that left side like we all kind of daydreamed about during the summer uh, after the Titans signed Saffold. Um, you know, we talked all, all summer about we just can't wait to see these two together uh, and, and how they're going to just crush on that left side. We're starting to see that. I mean, if you look at the big runs of the last, you know, several games, the vast majority are going left, running behind the lawn and Saffold, and they are blowing people off the ball. It is, it's really fun to watch um, those guys play right now. And, and Tannehill being a threat to hurt you with the play action passing game down the field just makes all of that, all the more dangerous. Uh, let's let's talk about some some th- narratives out there that I've seen on Twitter and people making statements about. Uh, and just give me a quick reaction if I when I tell you this, we haven't rehearsed okay. this, so you don't know what I'm going to say. Yeah. Okay. 
So first one is that Ben Jones is playing the best had playing the best football of his career. Yes, that's true. Wow, more than 2016. Uh, yeah, he's playing better than he was in 2016. Oh well, interesting. I was not expecting that one. Uh, <laughs> uh, the Logan Ron or Adoree Jack Jackson sucks. That's false. Adoree Jackson's really good. He's PFF's 12th ranked quarterback right now overall. Um, he has been locked down all year long. This is not a recent development. Um, he's been really hard to get separation against even for, I mean, even the throws to Tyree kill in the chiefs game were mostly very tightly contested, um, throws. Sometimes you just, you're up against Patrick Mahomes and Patrick Mahomes and Tyree kill, but, uh, Adore has been really good. Okay. Um, Cameron Wake was a waste of was a bad free agent pick. Uh, that's that's false. Cameron Wake was rushing the rushing the passer really well. He was getting pressures. He wasn't getting sacks, obviously. Um, and and ultimately, you'd love to see him get sacks more consistently than he was. But when he was in the game, he was a frequent presence, uh, forcing early throws, getting the ball out quick, hitting the quarterbacks as as they were letting go of the ball. He was the team leader in pressures, despite the fact that he played like half the snaps of most of the rest of the, uh, the regular rotation. So I think, uh, you know, they were getting out of him about what they expected to get out of him, honestly. Um, and it sucks that he's gone. Cause I, I think he will be missed. Uh, Derek Henry is a scheme running back. False. He, I mean, the dude is, <laughs> The dude is a monster. He's 6'3", 250, and he runs like, you know, a four four forty. I mean, he's he's a total nightmare to tackle. Uh, it doesn't really matter what scheme you're running. Uh, you know, when you have a running back that can run you over, stiff arm you, and then run away from you, good luck. Good luck dealing with it. And, and you can pick and choose on this next one which one you want to talk about, if you agree with some of it or half of it or both things or disagree. Um uh, Marcus will succeed as a Patriot in 2020. <laughs> I'm going to disagree with both of those things. I, I, I just don't see, I, I don't, I don't see how the Patriots, first of all, I think Tom Brady, he likely is the quarterback for the Patriots in 2020, but I just, Mariota hasn't shown anything to me that makes me think he's going to suddenly succeed anywhere else. I mean, maybe, Maybe he does get the fresh start and it helps him some, but like you said, I can't imagine him going to a place and being given the full reins as the starter unquestioned going into the season. I think he's going to go somewhere, compete, probably be a backup. Best case scenario, he's like he goes to a team that also is drafting a quarterback really high, like maybe a, a Cincinnati or something like that, and he's like the bridge to Joe Burrow or, or something along those lines. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think it's going to be, I don't think we're going to be seeing Mario to lifting the, the Lombardi trophy with uh, Bill Belichick next to him next year. I, I just don't buy that. Uh, I wanted to talk about a little bit about elite, the word elite. Okay. All right. So this is what we're going to end on. Now we're not going to talk about elite fans or anything like that. It's not the context. Uh, <laughs> I think that, I think that thing has run its course and it should be over, but I'm going to give you a some things about a player, and I want you to tell me if this player is elite or not. Okay. So the last two years, this player has hovered around 
anywhere, according to PF, PFF scoring system, anywhere from 40 to 56 the last two years, okay? Yeah. Uh, at his position. So at his position, he's ranked that way. Um, yeah. Do you think that is technically elite? Or do you <laughs> no. think that... Okay, that doesn't maybe that doesn't tell the the whole story, but do you think that is the sign of an elite player? Uh, no. Okay, if I were to tell you that player was Jalen Ramsey, does that oh. change your mind? Because currently, <laughs> yesterday or before the Ravens game, he was ranked the number seventy or the yeah the Ravens game the number seventy two cornerback. Okay, he was ranked yeah. seventy two. He's up to fifty six now after that game. Is he an elite? cornerback or even an elite player in your mind you know that's a tough question because i do think he's really good right i, I think he's and I think you can be really good and not elite i think he's better than the pff scores probably credit him for okay. but i do think there's a I, I don't think he's elite though i mean when when i would say elite i'm, I'm talking about like Stephon Gilmore is elite. You know, that's a guy that brings it every game. He's consistent. Ramsey has those peaks, but I don't feel like he's always consistent. I feel like he gets up for certain guys, certain games, and he will play really great. And then he'll kind of disappear and not really, you know, be very good in, in other games. So I, I think I think he's too inconsistent to really be truly elite. And, and that's my thing is I think that everybody remembers his really good year when that defense was going nuts. Right, and they were shutting everybody down, and they've held on to that, thinking that he's been elite even the last two years, and really, I mean, he hasn't been. But there's also players, um, okay, so like Derrick Henry. You know, how close is he to being considered elite? Because when you look at the stats from the last 16 games, if you take the last 16 games that he's played, they're they're awesome, right? So yeah. there's obviously other things that have prohibited him from being that for the last since he's been drafted. You know, Demarco Murray scheme and stuff like that. How close is he being to elite? And is he ever going to be elite without um, being improving his third down effectiveness? So I think I think he is elite at what he does, right? So I think. As a runner, um, there are few, maybe not any, uh, NFL running backs that I would take over Henry. I mean, you're you're talking about a very short list. I do think that the fact that he is not a three-down back, quote unquote, I, I don't think, and it's more than just like him not catching the ball. I, I don't think he's a great route runner. You know, he's he's just kind of. He's, he's not going to be a Christian McCaffrey, a Alvin Kamara, uh, a Saquon Barkley kind of threat in the passing game. I, I just don't see how that's ever going to happen with his skill set. But I think you could still say he's an elite player because the Titans have built an offense that is currently the you know what a top three offense in the NFL um, over the last five weeks around Henry. And so you have to be a pretty damn good player if you are the centerpiece of an offense that's that good. Well, let me say this. You, you may, I'm going to ask you a question. Adrian Peterson, notorious for never being able to catch the ball, right? I yeah. mean, that's his big knock all the way through his whole career. Um, 
so just because you can't catch the ball doesn't mean you're not worth the money or not uh, a true elite running back, right? I mean, isn't that the the case right there to let you know that you don't have to catch the ball to be considered elite? Because Adrian Peterson's considered one of the best running backs of all time, right? Right. Yeah, and I think that's a pretty good comp for Henry, honestly. I mean, Peterson might have had slightly more... I guess make you miss ability. Yeah, I was about uh, to say agility. I think is his big would be his big upgrade over Henry. Yeah, but I, I think from a power and speed standpoint, those guys are actually pretty similar. And and if you look at a lot of Peterson's greatest runs, you know, it is him getting into the second level and just being an absolute freight train um, that can fly. And and that's that is basically what Henry is. Um, so I yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think that's a fair comparison. And, you know, if you were to tell me that he was going to have Adrian Peterson's career moving forward, you would absolutely sign that guy up to a, a pretty big contract, right? Right. I mean, you would have to because, I mean, to me, I mean, Adrian Peterson, I always thought that he was one of the best running backs to ever play the game. I know a lot of people consider um, at least the best running back of the last 10 to 15 years, 20 years, I guess. How long has he been in the league now? I'm kind of wondering. Uh, yeah, at least 10 years, I think. Yeah, 2007. So, yeah, I mean, to me, it seems like that he he is someone that is a good comp, and I think that he's a top five running back of all time. Now, don't get me wrong. Henry's got a long way to go to match the career that he has. But if right. you really think about it, Henry is now – he hit double-digit touchdowns, rushing touchdowns this past weekend, right? Uh, right, yeah. And so that's kind of you know what you want from a running back nowadays, but he's also getting the yardage to do it because he's just under 1,000 yards. And it's yeah. really – it's a lot – it feels like a chore to get to 1,000 yards at this point in the season – um, it's, it's just, it feels like it's a, a chore to get to like 1300 yards at this point, if you're not a third down running back. So to me, I think Derrick Henry is very, very close to being that elite running back and being mentioned. And he should be mentioned among at least Zeke and a couple of these other people. Christian McCaffrey's kind of on a whole nother level, but like Dalvin cook, Nick Chubb, right. I mean, all these people getting love. I mean, Derrick Henry, it's about time for him to get his love and be mentioned as a top five running back. Oh, yeah. I think I think Henry is every bit as good as uh, as Chubb, for sure. I, I think if you're looking at that list, you know, that's that's where he belongs. I mean, that's that's the top of the top as far as current NFL running backs, and I think Henry absolutely belongs in that conversation. There's a, a Cowboys writer, I think it's Marcus Mosher, that uh, posts – like every now and then he will post Henry's last 16 game stats versus uh, Ezekiel Elliott's. And Henry is, has double the touchdowns over the last 16 games. I think Henry has 24 touchdowns to Elliott's 12 and Henry hasn't beat um, in both yardage and yards per carry as well. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty objectively. Uh, and, and it's not like Elliott is adding so much in the passing game that it makes up for, that gap either i mean henry's got i think 150 or 160 something yards in the in the passing game and elliot's got like 
240, so it's like an 80-yard gap there. Um, so I, I think Henry is easily a top five back, in my opinion. Well, and let me say this, going back to um, Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson, through his whole 14-year career, has six receiving touchdowns. Henry, through four years, has three receiving touchdowns. So technically, I mean, depending on the yardage and what you want to look at, Again, touchdowns to me matter the most. He's going to be a better receiving back. He's going to be, if he continues on this trajectory, one of the better running backs in all phases of the game. And I think it's time to kind of acknowledge that he's up in that elite status and some players are falling down the elite status. Yeah, absolutely. It, I mean, it, it changes every year. That's why I'm not too big on the elite uh, until you approve consistency. Like, Brady has proved consistency. Russell Wilson, consistent. Um, I mean, year after year, these guys, a bunch of guys are making plays. If Derrick Henry can build up his consistency, you're talking about an elite player. And there's no reason to see that he can't be consistent when given the workload. We've seen it this year for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, think, I think Henry is... He's a, he's a fascinating guy because he's really truly unique. I mean, like guys that are built like him, guys that are his speed, guys that are hit, like durable. Like it's just he's kind of a one of a kind guy. Um, and I think that's why some people find it so hard to classify what he is exactly. I think it's you know he's he's Derrick Henry. You know, that comparing him to other guys is is tough. So. I mean, he has 12 total touchdowns right now. 10, 10 receiving, 2, uh, or sorry, 10 rushing, 2 receiving. And, I mean, that's just, he's awesome, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean it's, just, it's just insane how good he is, and people still doubt him or say he's okay or he can't do this or he can't do that. It's, it's just crazy to me. It is, yeah. I, I, I'm all in on Henry. The Titans have to find a way to keep him here. I think they'll be... Fan riots in the street if they don't. So figure it out, J-Rob. Yeah, got to figure it out. Well, that's it for us. I, On behalf of Mr. Lebowski and Mike Miracles, uh, we're going to play this little outro music here. Um, so is the outro music playing? It is not playing. Have no clue why. So we won't worry about <laughs> that. I'll add it in post. Oh, no, it's playing. Okay, anyway... Man, that was crazy. Uh, that's good radio. See what happens when Lebowski leaves? I, 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 haven't, I haven't hosted in a while. This uh, is his fault. Yeah, it is definitely his fault. So, um, gobble, gobble. Enjoy your turkey. Be thankful for your loved ones. Thankful that you have a Titans. You can go around the the uh, Thanksgiving table and actually be proud to be a Titans fan for once, I feel like. Uh, I feel like it's been a long time. And... Uh, Hopefully, uh, y'all are all safe on your holidays. And for Mike Miracles, at Mike Miracles on Twitter, I am Zebo. You can follow me on Zach at Zach F or Zach Words 80. Man, I'm really fucking this one. <laughs> at Zach Words 85. And then you can follow the uh, podcast on at F Words Pod on Twitter. Other than that, you have just been F'd. You got F'd, Fers. <laughs>